Our passage this morning, as I already mentioned, is 1 Corinthians 13. Uh, if you've been with us, you know we're going through the book of 1 Corinthians, and it's probably the messiest congregation Paul ministered to, um, and so we're calling this series uh, Church and Mess Worth Making. And with all these chapters we're going through, uh, there's a lot of questions. There's a lot of wondering what exactly are, is the food sacrifice to idols and and what exactly is going on in the Lord's Supper and how they're conducting it, and on and on and on. And then we come to this shortest chapter. And it's so clear. And many of you, I'm sure every one of you have heard it multiple times. In fact, someone who's never heard the Bible at all would know this chapter, right? From weddings they've gone to. And yet it's the one we need to hear the most. So, we're going to spend three sermons on this passage. The first one, we're going to cover just the first three verses titled The Supremacy of Love. Next week we'll um, unpack probably the more popular portion of the chapter, uh, verses 4 through 7, and talk about the definition of love. And then the final one on the 26th of March, uh, love never ends, the eternality of love. So that's kind of how we're going through it. So if you now would follow along with me, uh, chapter 13. By the way, if you notice I missed a date, the 19th. Doug will be preaching on the 19th at the end of spring break on... Love. So, there we go. Lots of love. Okay. Chapter 13, verse 1. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, And if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we give you praise that you love us. We give you praise that there in this passage is a promise that in you we have love. Father, we come now this morning longing to learn through through the presence of your Spirit how we might settle our lives more with you and less on all the other distractions, Lord, that love would be preeminent in our lives. Would you make this true of each of us individually and corporately as well as a church? In your name we pray. Amen. <clears throat> um, Corinth was an interesting church, as we know, right? It had a lot of problems, but it had a lot of spirituality. And so Paul is trying to give them a way to understand true spirituality. What is true and what is false this happened later in history, uh, the Great Awakening. Jonathan Edwards, most of you have heard of Jonathan Edwards, was a very central figure in the revival of the Great Awakening. It happened in Europe, and it happened in North America as well. There are quite a few different figures involved. Um, and, and there was so much outbreak of spirituality that it's even talked about in public schools, usually with really bad history. But what you found was there was a divide. There were the true folks that were coming to Christ and being revived, but there was a lot of counterfeit, and so Jonathan Edwards wrote a a work that one person says is considered the greatest classic of evangelical literature, literature. Um, that is his work on the religious affections. And in that book, he's trying to show what would it look, what is real revival, what is true Christianity, and then what are the, what's sort of made up or fabricated on either on purpose or on accident. And so he goes through and talks about religious affections. And he doesn't coin the term, but the idea of the affection of the heart, for Edwards it means it's what moves you to action. 
early in the work, he talks about how if you took away affections from all of humanity, uh, Christian or non-Christian, it doesn't matter, society would really come to a standstill. That people who do business think they're doing it logically. I need to earn a living to pay for the bills. But really, it's the affections of our heart that move us and drive us in what we do. And so Edwards makes the case that love is the chief of the affections. And therefore, it's the fountain of what you do. So when we come to this passage here in 1 Corinthians, what we're finding is a group of people who desperately want the outward manifestations of spirituality. They really want to be spiritual, and they've written this question to Paul. Tell us about spiritual gifts. And he starts chapter 12 by saying, now, concerning spiritual gifts, and he starts to explain them. And he does this explanation all the way through chapter 14, but 13 is the high point. And his point is, he finishes 12 by saying, I'll show you a more excellent way. And then in 13, his whole point is to say, love has to be the driving affection of your life. So, the question for us is, is that the what truth for us? Is that true of our Christian lives? When we think about all that we define ourselves by, um, we look at our spirituality, would we say love is the fountain or the source of our affections? And obviously, none of us can say 100% yes. But the hope would be that as we move through this passage and through these sermons, we'll begin to tease that out a little bit more and find out how do we switch the false affections, right? The ones that are based on the flesh. How do we replug those into Jesus and his love? So here's how we're going to go through this passage. Love gives us the content of our lives. Love gives us the motivation of our lives. And love gives us the identity of our lives. Um, so let's look at this first idea. Love gives us the content. Paul, excuse me. Paul is giving every one of these verses, there's three verses, he gives these kind of almost superlative actions that he assumes the audience would want, right? Then he says that he refrains three times, he says, if, without, if not love, each time. And then he gives the negative, right? The first time the negative is uh, clanging cymbals or a noisy gong. The next one is, um, I, ha- um, I am nothing. And finally he'll say, I gain nothing. So that's the structure of the passage. The question I want to look at is, what are these things? What are these exciting things that he's talking about? So let's look at the first verse. If I speak in tongues of men and of angels. So a lot of commentators say this shows that the Corinthians really valued that gifting. They really wanted to speak in tongues of angels. We already speak in tongues of men. Uh, They wanted to have speech as their center. And yet Paul says if love isn't the fountain... What? It's a clanging cymbal, right? A noisy gong. Um, have you ever wanted to do a bro- Anyone have to do a brochure that's not a graphic designer? And you go, I'm going to go to Microsoft Word and open up those. Have you seen those beautiful templates? It's like, I can be a graphic designer. And they're gorgeous. And you click on one, and it, it makes you almost want to read the brochure, doesn't it? And you're like, and you zoom it in, and it's gibberish. Have you ever seen that language in there? It's like Latin. Someone just filler Latin. I don't know Latin, so to me it's gibberish. Okay, that's my example to this. Uh, we, you want something to come from it, but the fact that it has no content is almost worse than if it was just average writing. You know, something about another country or something about cooking. All the photos talk about. Well, Paul's saying, look, you lean in, and you're about to hear something beautiful. Gong. And it's negative. It's not sort of, well, that was not helpful. It's negative. 
because it's not filled with love. Does that make sense? Um, the, the Corinthians, in other words, don't necessarily care about the content of what they're talking about. We found that in chapter 2, Paul says, And when I came to you, brothers, I did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. Remember, they really wanted speech that by itself, just the style alone, was beautiful, like Shakespearean or something. But as far as the content, that was less of a concern to them. So Paul says, I came proclaiming nothing but Jesus Christ and him crucified. And it was in weakness and fear and much trembling. And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstrations of the Spirit and of power. And that was not enough for them. So that we already know there's this issue with, in Corinth where they want not just the content, but the trappings, right? And, and the question that's before us is, are we stuck in that in our spiritual lives? Do we find ourselves wanting everything to look a certain way, but not so concerned about the content of it, what's driving it? And for Paul, he says love has to be the driving force. Later in chapter 8, he talks about knowledge uh, apart from love. He says knowledge puffs up, but love builds up, right? So what's the content of this knowledge? Now, have you... Let's just think about this for a minute. The tongues of angels. What, would, what do angels say? Right? Every time an angel shows up, they say something what? Profound. Like, you're going to have a baby. He's the Messiah. Or something like that, right? Uh, Isaiah 6. Isaiah is brought to the throne room of God. And what are the angels saying? Holy, holy, holy. That's the content. It's It's everything. The style is not what's important. And so when you think about the content of your daily life, if it's not resting on love, that's not the fountain, then often the content itself is useless, right? Recently I saw a, a feed talking about TED Talks. I'm not an expert on TED Talks. Many of you wish I were. But I, I like them. I listen to them occasionally. But this was like a some sort of... Um, program that will teach you and I how to speak like people that do TED Talks. Are you familiar with TED Talks? They're really, they're talks that are given by experts on a particular subject that that expert majors in or studies, right? Someone else in this feed said, you should just go to Toastmasters. You know what Toastmasters is? It's a fine organization. Some of you might do it. Um, where you go and basically kind of like high school speech class, you you speak on different topics that aren't necessarily important to you. They may be, but you may show up and they say, hey, talk about why vanilla is better than chocolate. And you've got to master that topic quickly and, and make it sound great, right? Nothing wrong with that. But one of the people in that feed finally said, what makes the TED Talks great is that these people are experts in their field. And so simply, whatever techniques they're using, they're just trying to get out of their own way. The techniques are secondary to the fact that they really have all the knowledge of this field, and they're trying to communicate it to you or I. And so when we come along as mere novices in whatever the field is, it's appealing. Because for the first time, wow, that topic makes sense to me, right? Okay, so, going, so you're an expert without tricks if you go through TED Talks. The gospel, when it works in you, and love is the fountain, makes you concerned not with trying to be something big, but simply the content, right? The content based on love. And the reason for that is because of our motivation. So the second point we're going to look at is love is not only gives us the right content, it gives us the motivation. 
What is your motivation for the things you do in your life? Look at verse 3. If I gave away all I have, right? If I deliver up my body to be burned. Any of you want either of those two things? Um, it's interesting, if you follow the positives, the things that you think that Corinth, the Corinthian audience would want, I think we would track with them. Okay, tongues of men, tongues of angels, interesting. Prophecy, cool. Uh, understanding mysteries and knowledge. Moving mountains by faith. I don't know what that means, but that sounds cool. And then you come to verse 3. If I give away all I have... And if I offer my body to be burned, not so exciting, is it? Um, So it kind of exposes our motivation for a little bit. Uh, And what does Paul say? If you do these things without love, you gain nothing. And and I think the common thought, and even the music we sing, and I'm not going to say this is wrong, is these are great things. You just need to make sure you do it with love. But I want to argue a little differently. Um, I think that's fair. But I think Paul's saying if there isn't love, they're not even good things. If your motivation isn't love, you're going to go after all the wrong things and you're going to find yourself doing the wrong things. Remember the rich young ruler in Luke 18? Now he wanted eternal life. And what did Jesus say? Does it, basically, what, give away all you have? Right? Kind of. Actually, the story is the rich young ruler doesn't know he's Jesus. He says, hey, good teacher. Right? Misidentifying him completely. Jesus says, have you followed the law? He's like, yep. I've kept the law perfectly. He means the first table. I've related to God perfectly my entire life. So Jesus tests him. Okay, perfect. You love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. Give all you have to your neighbors. Right? And actually what he says is sell all you have. Take the proceeds. So you've sold it with wisdom. Getting the actual value for things. Right? And you've taken that money and found people who actually need it, and you hand it to them, and then what? Follow me, Jesus says. How many of you would do that? I think a lot of us beat ourselves up, and we say, I would never, that would be so hard. But I want to sort of build you up for a second. I think if the Messiah, and you're a Christian, came into your life and said, I really want you to follow me, just hang out with me, would you do it? I think we would. I'm not, I really, I'm not trying to play a trick on you. I think Christians would say, yes, sell my stuff. I don't care. I'm going to follow you, Jesus. The problem with the rich ruler was that wasn't the Messiah. That was just a good teacher, right? And so we have to go back to what is the motivation. And for Paul, when he says, if you just give away all you have, that's not in and of itself useful, right? Have you ever met someone that just gave everything away? What did you, what did you do with it? You know, I don't know. Some organization took it for me. It's gone. I love that. I wanted that. I mean, wouldn't that bother you a little bit? It's like, it doesn't matter. The key is, I did it. I gave it away. Okay. Maybe you're tracking with that. Let's look at martyrdom. Have you ever seen those videos of the people? This is so morbid, but you've seen them. You know, like, I don't remember. It may be the black and white video of the monk burning himself. Did you think that was valuable when you've seen that video? The guy, I don't, what's his argument? What's his point? Is anyone in the room know the statement that monk was making in that video. No. All you know is he really believed it, but it seems to have gained him nothing. In other words, simply dying by being burned isn't help you. In the early church, when martyrdom was more prevalent, at least 
in America it's not prevalent, and around the world it's becoming that way, and it is. They actually had to, some early church fathers, there are writings recorded where they had to tell people, don't try to get martyred. Like, that's not a thing. Okay? If someone comes to you and in confessing Christ, you break the law, they drag you to the stake, don't deny Jesus. You will be martyred. And that's, that's horrific, but it's beautiful and all that stuff. But don't go around looking for it like you're going to be somebody. Okay? So what's Paul saying? Don't let your motivation be to be somebody. Right? It does you nothing. So as we think about our lives and the way we orient even our spiritual lives or our everyday life, which really should go together, are we doing it because we're motivated by love or are we trying to build this sort of outward image of ourselves for the world to see? Right? I made a list of things that maybe I do, maybe some of us do, and I just started making almost stream of consciousness of things that I think if we had to translate this into our modern language, we might do. This is not a spiritualist. It's more of an everyday thing by which we want others to look at us, right? This is how we might struggle. I have this, right? And Paul would say, well, without love, it's nothing. So I'm just going to list stuff. If you're on the list, I'm not thinking of you, okay? I have the right education, right? I have great kids. If I have a wonderful marriage, a wonderful career, a beautiful home, a beautiful car, or maybe just a really smart car, or a car that gets great gas mileage. I have great character. That's my thing. I'm in the right social groups. I have my looks, my athleticism, my hobbies, my knowledge. I have really good conversations with people. I have great habits, or great skills, or a great resume, a lot of resume builders out there. I'm on the right diet. I have the right bed. You can put a glass of wine on it and jump on it. I have the right playlist on my iPhone. I have the right TV shows that I've watched. Like, if you ask me, I'm watching the right things. I have the right mindset, right? The right tools. Like, you need a tool, I've got it. This isn't me. My house has the right color scheme. I have the right book collection. If you ask me my top 100 movies, I have the right list. It's better than yours. I have the right clothes, the right connections, the right phone apps. I know how to use social media better than you. This isn't really me at all, by the way. I'm all, I have the right exercise program, braces, glasses, haircut. Okay, here's one. You go to the doctor's office for some reason, and a couple of doctors or dentists in the room, why do we have to refill the paperwork every single time? We'll talk later. But what do you do? You sit there and like, oh, I'm either my family history, I'm being exposed. I have the right family history. Never had, I had that. None of my family, yes. Or the family lineage. I'm a Rockefeller, you know. Family money. Oh, I don't have any of that new money. I had someone tell me that once. I don't have any of that new money. I have family money. Or new money people. Oh, I have new money. I'm not, I, didn't, I earned my money. Okay. These are, how about this? Fire escape plan. Anyone have one of those? We need help. We don't have a good one. How about your computer backup plan? Right? Is your computer backup? Do you have the current iOS on your iPhone? Okay. What am I saying? We really do, whether we like it or not, I think measure ourselves and how we feel about our lives with a lot of that stuff. And of course you can do it with Christian things as well. How am I training my kids? How am I memorizing my verses? And, and these are all great things. Please don't hear what I, I had a professor who said this too many times. I'll say it once. Don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm not saying those are bad things. 
What I am saying is, are you beginning to build a lifestyle around those identity markers versus love? And that's why I want to look at our identity. Love is our identity. Look at verse 2. Remember, this is the superhero game. Have you ever played the superhero game as a kid? Uh, I'd have x-ray vision. Oh, x-ray vision, come on. I would, like, have the ability to pop anywhere in the world in an instant, you know. Well, that's your, I, would, I could fly. And you one-up each other, right? I mean, Paul in verse 2 is bringing out the big guns, right? In the first person, he's saying, if I have prophetic powers, I understand all mysteries, not most, not the difficult ones, all mysteries and all knowledge. And if I have all faith, okay, so as to remove mountains. I mean, can you imagine if you had that? I'd be bringing Colorado about to Enid, you know? I'd want just a little closer so we can at least see the peaks. Okay. But I have not love. What does Paul say? I am nothing. The Greek is I am nobody. I am of no account. Why? Because those things by themselves, apart from Christ, are useless. How so? Well, let's, by the way, let me just make sure we understand something. When it talks about love, he's been talking about the Holy Spirit who unites you to Jesus being the one who animates you in life. Okay? And if I have that, then when I prophesy and all these things, it'll be beautiful. But if I don't have that, then what am I prophesying? Can you, what's your prophecy? What are you proclaiming? Or I have all the knowledge, all mysteries. What are you, what are the, what's the answer to the mystery if it's not Jesus? Right? How about moving the mountain? Really, in ancient language, the mountains weren't as beautiful. Here we ski on them, or we mine in them, or we climb them. Then it, they were often in the way. It was sort of a poetic language. When you make the, the mountains valleys, it, so moving a mountain meant let's go beyond it. But what's beyond the mountain if it's not Jesus? All right, so the question is, what are you after? What is your identity drawing you to if it's not Jesus? Um, this idea of identity. I, I read a book years ago. It's a good book. It's kind of painful. It's called Hurt. <laughs> Pardon the pun. Um, and the guy, Chap Clark, spent a ton of time with adolescents. I, this is before the social media era, so it's probably even tremendously worse. But he's really showing that adolescents struggle with their identity. And he has this one letter uh, one of the students gave him, and he wrote it, he wrote, used it in the book anonymously. Listen to this student describing himself. I could stare in the mirror for hours and find no connection between my thoughts and the face staring back at me. He seems more like a poorly casted actor whose eyes show his disdain for his role. And yet he smiles. He leads an exceptional life with above average grades and social skills. I just wish my real life were more like the person radiating from the smile. Other people seem like actors and actresses in the same sick drama, almost unreal to me. I have to remind myself when I speak to them that it is the actor they see and not an image more fairly representative of my thoughts. I feel like a renegade separating myself from my intended role. And yet my misery seeks no company. I consider myself too humane to invite stable minds into my thoughts 
like enticing the healthy into a leprosy colony. I therefore suffer in silence, longing to be understood, but refusing to share such a nightmare with the unknowing. It is a lonely place in the mind of an unwilling actor. If that's this high school kid, how many of you struggle with that? And I think we do. Maybe you haven't owned up to it as honestly as he has. But we really, at our core, if it's not Jesus, it's simply filling the void that is created by the fall with stuff. Hoping to fool people, knowing at the same time we are fooling them. Right? And I love the way it ends. Uh, again, this is, I don't think this person is particularly religious, but he says he's, in, he's enticing the healthy into a leprosy colony. Jesus goes into the leprosy colonies, doesn't he? He's longing to be known. Jesus will come in. Jesus will move into that boy's heart, into your heart, and know you. And he won't reject you. Do you believe that? That is what Paul is getting at when he talks about the love that drives us. It's that final moment of being known at your core, not just warts and all, but sin and darkness and shame, and Jesus saying, I made you, I love you, you are mine. Stop defining yourself by that other rubbish. Only see yourself as one thing, mine. That's what the Holy Spirit does. Remember chapter 12 started with Paul saying, there's one Spirit, and by Him you cry out, Jesus is Lord. That Holy Spirit has come on you, and come on me if we are in Christ and has changed us and we now have this new center, this new core. You see this in Galatians when Paul talks about deeds of the flesh and deeds of the Spirit. And what does he say that the Spirit does? Cries out what? Abba, Father. It's relational. Is that your hope? When you think about your Christianity, I want your first thought to be Jesus. I'm defined by Jesus. I'm loved by my Heavenly Father. His Spirit dwells in me. Stop thinking about how I feel, what are my habits, what are my sins, what, are my, what is my righteousness. Those things need to be dealt with in their place, but only measure yourself by one identity marker, Jesus. Is that what you do? Is that what's at your core? Is that what flows through you? As a point of conclusion, I want to um, introduce a completely new, new scripture. Um, just kidding. Philippians 3. Paul gives a biogra- biography of himself that gets to the heart of this, right? Paul had a religion that was perfect. Paul's identity was clear and concise. He knew who he was. He goes on about it, right? Um, circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, As to the law, he doesn't say, I struggled a bit. I was a Pharisee, right? As to zeal, a persecutor of the church. As to righteousness under the law, blameless. Paul had it all, right? And you know about Paul's conversion. He's on the road to Damascus, and Jesus shows up. And what does Jesus say? Saul, that's what he went by at the time. Saul, not, why are you believing this wrong stuff? Why is your theology incorrect, Saul? doesn't say that. He doesn't say, 
Saul, why are you persecuting these poor people? He says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? When you persecute a person who is in Christ, you're persecuting Christ. Do you hear that identity connection? And I think Paul sees that relationship, and in his conversion, everything is changed. Listen to how he describes it now. Whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I, present tense, count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. When Paul says, I count those things rubbish, do you think he went and got rid of everything? He still would tell you his family history. He still kept the stuff. He means, that's not my identity anymore. We have to shift our identity if we want to have love flowing through us. Guys, this is not something that just happens at conversion. It happens daily, weekly, seasonally. You come back to the cross and you go, I've gotten off. I don't feel any love. I'm doing all this good stuff and nowhere is there love in the mix. Is that you? Because I've got great news for you. That's me and that's, that's the disciples in Corinth who, G, who Jesus sent Paul to minister to and say there's hope. The hope is you are in Christ. You have his spirit. Now let's bask in that spirit. Let's repent. What are you repenting of? Let's go, dear Lord, forgive me for thinking this stuff defines me. How miserable is that end? How much anxiety does that create? Forgive me, Lord. Repent of it. So I just want you, Jesus, and talk to him as the lover of your soul, as the one you will spend eternity with. Begin that today if that's not already your practice. Begin that at this table as we take communion, signifying the reality of our union with Christ, the adoption we have in the Spirit. Let that be what's at your source, and love will flow. It will ebb and flow, but when it's not working, it's because you're focused on something else. Come back to the cross. Come back to Jesus, and it will flow again. Let's pray. Lord, you give us hope. Only through the Spirit can we love. Lord, we chase after so many other things, like chasing after the wind. It exhausts us. It makes us cranky. We lose hope. We're mean. We're not fun to be around. But Lord, when we rest in you, it's like being on a vacation forever. It's all of a sudden delight is dancing in our hearts. And now we can actually pay attention to those around us. We can actually have a conversation with a child and not wish they would speed it up. We can actually love our neighbor. We can actually take some time to care for people or pray or just sit. But only because of the identity we have in you. Teach us, Father, to lay down our deadly doings, all the things we run after at your feet, and rest in you alone. Amen.